Panda acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we work and live. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. Today's episode was produced on the lands of the Jajawurrung, Ghana, Jagara, Yagara and Yugarapur peoples. Just a word of warning, this episode has mentions of suicide, so you might choose to listen to another episode of Survive and Thrive instead, or if you do need to talk to someone, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I never wanted to be a dad. Um, never. Uh, was just never on the radar. I think as a, a young child, I, I remember having daydreams about being a dad and having a happy little nuclear family with a, a picket fence. Um, I think that was because I, I didn't have a happy upbringing. My mum died by suicide when I was nine months old. So I, I don't know wholly because of that, but I, I grew up not wanting to have kids. So that was beyond my scope, having having a family. Um, it was just absolutely never on the radar. But then, you know, just when Susie said she was pregnant, I think um, I was just adamant that I was going to do the right thing. So I didn't know what it would look like um, being a dad. I don't know if I ever made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to do it the way my dad did. Even before Oscar came along, like I had very tearful conversations with Susie just saying, I just, I'm so scared that I've got him in me and that I'm going to react in a way or that I'm going to end up being like him. I don't have to tell you there's no guidebook for this parenting ride. But if you're lucky, you might have a few people in your life who can show you a thing or two about how it's done. For lots of us, that's our parents. We look to their example, both the good things they did and of course the mistakes they made. We can learn from them and build on those lessons. But not all of us have parents who we can turn to when we bring children into this world. For a million different reasons, not everyone can be the mum or dad they wanted to be. So that leaves lots of us starting our own journey as parents without the guidebook written by our own. I'm Gia, and this is Survive and Thrive, a podcast from Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, who you probably know as Panda. Chris and Susie never thought they'd have kids, but for very different reasons. But despite it all, they did fall pregnant as a new couple. What followed were some really heavy times, but they both made a commitment to be the best parents that they could be and they decided to do things differently. I'm Chris, I'm 47, was 42 when Oscar was born, and he is a bright, vibrant, young, four-and-a-half-year-old boy. I'm Susie, I'm uh, 42, and, uh, yeah, look, um, he goes to four-year-old kinder at the moment. He's, He's great. Beautiful. Now tell me, how did you guys meet? <laughs> we met at work. We're both registered nurses and uh, we're working in the same facility at the local hospital. And yeah, yeah. romance blossomed. 
Yes, and you did. Yeah. We'd um, been going out for about 12 months. Yeah. And um, yeah. Surprise. Yeah. It did come as a, as a huge surprise when you fell pregnant, Susie. Can you tell me a little bit about, about your struggles getting pregnant in the past? Uh, yeah. So um, prior to meeting Chris, um, I had been married and we spent many, many years doing IVF. I think that was sort of the the nail in the coffin for the relationship, <laughs> which is, you know, a good thing in, in the long term, obviously. Um, so when, you know, Chris and I met, he sort of knew a bit of my struggles because we'd worked together for a bit at that stage. Um, but we sort of went into the relationship with the understanding that we, we wouldn't be having children. So um, it was, yeah, quite a big shock. I, you know, I got to the stage of accepting that I wasn't going to be a mum, even though that was something I really look forward to doing. Um, yeah, and I was, you know, in that acceptance stage, I'd say. And then, you know, life throws you a bit of a curveball and I was just, you know, spent the next couple of years probably in shock, to be honest. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for you guys, the timing was was not great um, when you did fall pregnant, Susie. Chris, if you're okay to speak about it, can you tell me a little bit about that year, 2018? Uh, I think it was the 9th of January that year, I got a phone call uh, saying that my dad had had a couple of falls, I think, in a short period of time. And then I got a phone call saying that he had a stage four glioblastoma, which is a, a brain cancer, terminal brain cancer. Um, and probably within a couple of weeks, he'd, he'd had a surgery, uh, lost the use of half of his body. Um, he, he was a bit of a difficult personality, my dad. Always had probably a strained relationship with him, but he was still my dad. Yeah, still loved him. Um, so we knew that we had limited time with him, but he was uh, not accepting, I think, partly through his personality and partly from his brain injury. He couldn't really get his head around what was happening to him, I don't think. Mm. And then, you know, Sue's, I knew Sue's wanted to have kids and um, one night she sort of, you know, we were talking and she said, yeah, I'd just like to try. And I thought, you know, because I knew her story, I thought it's sort of like buying a tax lotto ticket, <laughs> that there's not much <laughs> chance not much that, in that. <laughs> that I, wanted to, I wanted to make her happy. And in April, she said that she was pregnant. Gosh, I, I'm so sorry, firstly, Chris, that you've, you've gone through all this. That must have been so traumatic with your dad. I can't, can't even imagine. Um, can you tell me, talk me through some of the, the mixed emotions you must have both had at that time when Susie found out that she was pregnant? For me, initially, just absolute disbelief, absolute disbelief. And um, both of us were just like, oh, my God, this is happening and this is the worst possible timing ever. Um, there was a bit of, there's a real selfish part of me that just sort of thought, you know, I've waited for this for such a long time and I feel like I can't actually celebrate it um, because of everything else that's going on. And I, you know, it's a pretty selfish thought and everything, but I just I was like, you know, I just, you know, it should be a really wonderful celebratory time because it's finally happened and I can't do that. So that was, that was pretty sad as well. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah. I think for me, it felt like, uh, what else can the universe throw at me? I was, I, I felt like what was happening with dad was um, beyond my capacity and I didn't feel that I was dealing with it very well 
and um, it wasn't a happy time. No, yeah. it wasn't. Not at all. But there was no question that I wasn't going to be involved uh, and more than be involved, that I, I knew I was going to be a dad. But the whole, everything that was happening was so surreal that it just, none of it really felt real until, of course, Susan's tummy started getting bigger and had to start going to the appointments. But <laughs> there was never any question in my mind about um, that I was you know, going to be a dad and, and that we were going to share this responsibility, what that looked like was absolutely beyond my capacity. I couldn't, I had no idea. So, yeah, I was looking at the, at a relatively young age, looking at the prospect of losing my dad at the same time as becoming a father and him with his limited capacity to even understand, share any kind of thoughts or knowledge, um, he kind of, he celebrated. He was one of the first people that we spoke to about it. Yeah, he he was pretty excited, which was nice. We yeah. we told him Oscar's name. He was the only one that that knew Oscar's name. Uh, yeah, it was obviously a very depressing and traumatic time. But being able to bring this beautiful, glowing, pregnant woman into a a, a space where someone's dying and just you know, it just I uh, think you know, pregnant women just put a smile on people's face. Yeah, it's. A shock to most people when they yeah, go through the journey to becoming a parent, but to have to deal with that that incredible grief at the same time would have just been horrific. Chris, before you became a dad, what were your thoughts of what being a father would be like? I never wanted to be a dad. Never. It was just never on the radar. I think as a, a young child, I, I remember having daydreams about being a dad and having a happy little nuclear family with a, a picket fence. I think that was because I, I didn't have a happy upbringing. I, I had a safe, I was provided for safe, um, but my home environment wasn't a happy place. My mum died by suicide when I was nine months old and my, my dad uh, met my stepmum. They never got married, but we moved in with her when I, I was two and we never had it was not an affectionate household. It was it was a difficult place to grow up. You think it's normal at the time because you don't know any different, but um, you know, the, um, being older and just you know, having a lifetime to think about it wasn't wasn't happy. Um, my I had a difficult relationship with my dad, so I I don't know wholly because of that, but I, I grew up not wanting to have kids. But then, you know, just when Susie said she was pregnant, I think, um, I don't know how I would have acted um, 20 years ago in my 20s or maybe even in my 30s, but uh, I don't know if I ever made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to do it the way my dad did. Um, I... I um, I always grew up, I suppose, also being told by the, the women in my family that you're not going to grow up to be like your dad, and, and I knew I didn't want that. Um, even before Oscar came along, like I had very tearful conversations with Susie just saying, I just, I'm so scared that I've got him in me and that I'm going to react in a way or that I'm going to end up being like him, and that, that is a huge 
huge fear that I don't know if I can ever ever get rid of. You, know, you can practice mindfulness, but then there's you know, yeah. things things like that just creep in. And I just remind you, look, you know, because sometimes you might get angry about something that particularly Oscar's done, and you might fly off and you go, "Oh my god, I just did exactly what my dad did." I said, "Yeah, but you're not your dad, are you? Like, you know, you're not anything like him." So, you know, he was very career focused and less so on family, whereas, you know, you're pretty much the opposite. So, yeah, you're not your dad. Aside from dad's um, personality and and just the whole relationship history and everything and just the, uh, even the fact that I could never resolve, I'd never had a conversation with my dad about my mum. So on top of the pregnancy and his personality, I had that to deal with as as well. So it was... Um, I just felt like I didn't have any time to catch up, that I was just dealing, I was just surviving. I was really just surviving through that time. I had to survive because of my own family history, because there was no way I was going to leave Sue's as a single parent, and I had to look after her because there was um, no way she was going to leave me as a single parent because I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, I, I did have, and I still have, um, just that absolute fear of being abandoned. No, you can, again, you can practice mindfulness. You can, you can practice logic around these things, but that will never go away. Okay. How is that for you, Susie, when you hear Chris speak like that? It's really heartbreaking to hear and especially, you know, particularly if you felt this way as a child as well. I mean, no one should have to feel like that. But also, too, I'm looking at it now going, well, <laughs> joke's on you, mate, because you're stuck with me. Chris, thank you again for being so honest. Um, what things do you do or what did you do in the, the early stages um, after your dad passed away? How did you cope? What did you, you turn to? Uh, it, it was such a busy time with a um, dad... Dad died at the end of September and then Oscar was born end of November. So they sort of missed each other by two months. Um, and that was, yeah, as, as troubled as our relationship was, again, he was, he was my dad and I would have given anything for them to be able to meet. You know, I'd, I'd probably just get away and play music when I could. Uh, I probably drank. I, I did drink more than I should have. You know, there'd be nights where I think it was, you know, I'm not proud of this, but two weeks after we got home with Oscar, I, I kind of said, everything is going okay. I'm, I'm going to have a few beers. And everything wasn't going okay. We had a two-week-old baby in the house. And, mm. and as soon as I had a beer or even the thought of a beer, I was not reliable anymore, even though I wasn't, on the ground, yeah, I was just having a few beers, but as I, I think as far as Suze was concerned, and I would be the same if my partner had done it, I couldn't be trusted anymore. Not to, to do something horrible, but as far as judgment and reliability, if something went wrong, if there was an emergency, I can't be trusted because I've had a few beers. And it's not just then having a few hours of, of you know, listening to music or, or playing music or watching a movie, having a, a few beers on the couch, it's the next day as well. 
we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we're, with um, I don't think anyone does. There's no guidebook no, with parenthood. <laughs> you just kind of, I can still remember driving out of that hospital car park with this tiny thing, and it's like, my God, they're letting us go home with him. What was your support like when Oscar was born in terms of family, uh, friends? What did you guys have around at that stage? Uh, yeah, so my parents live locally, which is great um, and it has gotten better over the years. Um, but initially, I think they were really, really reluctant um, to help out with a newborn. Um, they saw a lot of my older brother in him, um, who, you know, he's still here, but he was very, very unwell as a baby. Um, he had a condition called pyloric stenosis where he sort of couldn't keep any food, drink anything down. Um, and he was actually near death when he was airlifted to the children's hospital back in the 70s. Um, my parents were really young at the time, like early 20s. Um, so I think they, you know, really held on to that. And then when, you know, then my sister was born and I was born, you know, not so much as far as complications go. Um, but then having another boy around, and I think they saw a lot of my brother in Oscar when he was born. And I think both of them really just like, yay, we're great. This is, we're really proud grandparents, but also too, um, the fear of having a little boy and something go wrong was very, very real to them. They never got any help or support back in the day. So um, they really, really took, I felt that they took a bit of a step back. Um, you know, didn't want to have him on their own. They were okay to visit if me and Chris were there, but otherwise they wouldn't have him on their own. Um, thankfully, that's improved as things, have, you know, as Oscar's gotten older, you know, he does his own thing, he can talk, he, they know that he's fit and healthy and he's got his own personality, but um, certainly in those early stages, they were quite reluctant to. And both of them have admitted they never got help back in the day. It wasn't wasn't a thing that was done, I suppose. How did you find Chris bonding with Oscar when he first arrived? So we had um, in the the birthing suite. Uh, I I was present through all the of whole thing. Yeah, every appointment. I was I was there for everything, and um, I did have when he was born. I was there for the birth. I was checking everything out. You know, some of the midwives were sort of explaining me to me what was happening, but I was sort of in the corner and uh, two and a half hours after he was born, I had to ask to hold my son. I just wanted to take my top off and hold him to my skin. You know, to me, that is, is the first sort of form of communication you can have with a bubba. Yeah. Um, I found it, yeah, I, I kind of thought that I my role was to look after everything else as far as food, shelter, keep keep the house organised and Suze's job was to look after the bub because, you know, she was um, feeding, sort of working out the sleeping arrangements because he just sort of wanted to be held. So I found it, I didn't know where I fit in really apart from, you know, I think men maybe just have the, the uh, thought that they need practical tasks and that that is taking care of stuff. So, uh as far as yeah, the the it took me a while to to really find more than just the protective thing that that no one had better try and hurt you or even upset you or you know say you look like a funny baby or anything. You know, it's just so so protective. But then yeah, just having those cuddles, um, I got kind of a 
a deeper resonant voice, so I'd find I would sing to him oh, and, and cuddle with me at the same time, and he could he could feel my voice just through my chest, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd find that, and I found that there were certain songs that would actually calm him more than others, and that that was just wonderful. The fact that I could actually um, soothe him and and that mm. he responded to that yeah. was just amazing. So uh, we'd be dancing around in the kitchen, and, and it's, <laughs> you think everything's going to be soft and quiet for a baby. I'd crank oh, the stereo up it. a bit and yeah. swinging him around safely, of course. But yeah, we'd be dancing and. And he would he would love it and and things like bath time as well like Sue's I don't know why doesn't like I don't, baths. I'm not a bath person. Never have been. <laughs> well, who has time for a bath? Pool, my own filth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that would be the special time. We, yeah. were, we were petrified of bathing mm-hmm. him. I was just yeah. I never wanted to pick a baby yeah. up before they could support their own head. Yeah. Um, something just flips in you now. I can you know yeah. I, I see babies like I see dogs on the street. I was like that's a cute one. Whereas before. I Couldn't never, care less. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't give him a second look. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you definitely got your confidence. You took a while to get into the groove, um, and I guess that experience at the hospital would not have helped. And that's, yeah, it's a shame that that was dealt with the way it was, but it's not uncommon, sadly. I think a lot of partners do feel left out um, for the birth. We were scared to pick him up. Yeah. You know, we were scared to, to have anything to do with him unsupervised. Yeah. Um, we, we could... Uh, try and rationalise things by saying people have been having babies since the dawn of time. There's no reason we can't do it. But I think just wanting to be safe and just that fear that something was going to go wrong. But but when I did get that skin-to-skin contact, it was amazing. Just being able to give him a bottle or, or, you know, just uh, help with the beating and, you know, and... You know, we're, we're, again, we're nurses, not not afraid to change a nappy, and a little baby's nappy <laughs> is uh, quite different to an adult pad. Yeah. So there, there was just not like I was on board for everything. Yeah. Um, but it just, I felt, I suppose, in that space that I needed to be invited, or I needed to be told that I was okay because I had no idea, mm-hmm. and I was, I was not in a good headspace. Yeah. You know, no one knew, no one in the hospital knew what had happened in the last Month nine months. Two, yeah. Um. But yeah, there's just this mm. bit of a, I don't know, maybe assumption on both sides that I would speak up more. Or, but when I did get that, uh, even seeing him for the first time, something just switches in your brain. I don't know if that happens for everyone, but yeah, you know, just the fact that he just appeared in the room. Yeah, it was that was quite incredible for me as well. Just all of a sudden, there's an extra person in the room. It was yeah, really. Um, yeah, very surreal. <laughs> mm. And Susie, that must have been special for you as well to to witness the happiness that that Chris had had finally felt after such heartache. Yeah, look, and I think you know it was so hard. Like straight after he was born, you know, I think it was middle of the night. I think two or three in the morning. I can't even remember now. Um, we were just so exhausted, and you know, I was exhausted. He was exhausted. We got this new baby, and I just I I don't think I even took it all in to be totally honest with you. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, cause I, I didn't feel like I had a huge connection throughout my pregnancy to Oscar and, you know, I had a fear that that was going to continue on after he was born. Um, cause people always say, oh, you know, and, um, but yeah, it was kind of like a little alien hanging around there initially. <laughs> it's just like, what do I do with him? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he doesn't know what's going on and 
yeah, it was, um, yeah, really, yes, it just very surreal. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, yeah. I think the, the joy for me didn't come until he, until I started getting a bit back, until he oh, got, yeah. got a bit of personality. Definitely. Like um, smiling for the first time, laughing for the first time, eating food that, that I cooked. cooked. Yeah. That, yeah, no one else can lay claim to that, that I cooked Oscar his first yeah. meal and, <laughs> and he loved it. Yeah. That, that was just well done. amazing. And, and um, yeah, I suppose the real, apart from that protective uh, feeling the real bonding sort of came as he got a bit older, yeah. even um, trying him with new foods like seafoods and and uh, trying giving peanut him butter. a prawn for the first time, a peanut butter, and just we were Waiting. both just sitting there staring at him, going, "Are you going to have a reaction?" You know, and probably just being able to you know, just fall into each other's arms after the baby was finally asleep, yeah. you know, just to think, my God, we've got through another day. And, yeah, and, it was really like that. And that we'd done it together as well, which sort mm. of, you know, I felt that I was doing an okay job because everyone was still alive, <laughs> which sounds pretty yeah. dark, but that was what worked for no, me. I get that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, what a team you guys make. And I think, Chris, you sound like just an absolutely wonderful father. So... I think you need to give yourself some credit Definitely. because you are doing an amazing job. You are, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned this sense of duty that you felt you had early on. Do you think, looking back now, do you think your views on what a good father is have, have changed? Yeah, yeah. Because I'd never entertained the idea. Um, now, you know, Oscar's four and a half now. I've, I've had a lot of time to, to reflect and I think I do... Self-reflection is just part of who I am. I, I do tend to possibly overthink things. Um, but yeah, and I do relate it back to my own dad now. I don't think I had the capacity to when I was younger. And it's not a conscious decision to go against, uh, you know, male roles and, and preconceived notions of dads. It's I want my son to not be afraid of me. I want him to know. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Take your time. I want him to know that I'm his friend and that I'll always yeah. love him no matter what he does. He knows that too. And I want him to be able to just depend on me and I want and for him to know that you know, maybe I, I want him to maybe get as much joy from me being in his life that that I do from him being in my life. Um, I, I, I think the probably one thing that, that comes up is I'm, I'm adamant that I don't want to be the disciplinarian, the, the wait till your dad gets home, that we've both got to share that role. Not that Sue's has ever put that on me, but um, I made a conscious decision to work less, that we, we both work part-time yeah. to be able to... Um, be at home with Oscar and try and have as much family time as we can. So I'm not, as I think Sue's mentioned earlier, I'm not career-driven. I do enjoy my career and I'm, I'm you know, trying to, to build on that and I do love my work. And and But he, yeah, just when he came along, it was like, I've got a new focus. Yeah, it's, um, which I, the cliches, I suppose, when people have kids, yeah, people tell you that, but you don't sort of realise 
um, the, the whole thing, it's not about me anymore, which it is still about me. If, if I can't look after myself, I can't look after anyone else. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I want him to look up to me and I want him to, to learn you know, through my mistakes and maybe through my examples, which just sounds so corny, but I, I, I want him to be a kind person. He's got a wicked sense of humor that I think he gets from both of us, but I just, I want him to be a, a, a good person that, you know, can um, look after other people when they need it, which yeah. we can both see in him that, yeah, he, that already he already does that. Mm. That is beautiful, Chris. Thank you for being so honest. Um, what would your advice be to dads out there who might be listening? Um, if they're struggling, if they're, they're feeling like they don't know their place or they don't know what their role is as a father, what would be your, your message to them? Have a mental health plan before before you become a dad. You know, um, when you've still got the time to think, and a me- mental health care plan doesn't, you know, if you can find professional help, that's great. But just work out a plan to to be able to look after yourself and write it down because it is hectic when it starts. Mm. Um, even if it means, you know, a small support network. Dad's groups, which I never did. I, I really wish I had professional help um, in that time, but uh, I thought I could handle it. Don't think you can handle everything by yourself, because again, if you if you can't look after yourself, you can't look after anyone else. Um, it doesn't have to be crisis with a capital C to know that everything's going to shit. You just got to be able to realise. If you're not coping, keep your communication open with your partner because they, they, other people can tell you when your mental health is tanking before you can, you know, people that know you well can recognize signs before you can recognize or even acknowledge it in yourself and believe that you can do it. You know, there, there is, I think people are inherently kind and people will look after other people. Most people would just, you know, if someone needs help, people will do it. So just have a bit of confidence and also you know, try and have a bit of fun. And I suppose from my experience, you know, make that choice. If you can, spend as much time with your bub as you can because you can't, you can't force an experience into half an hour at the end of the day. You don't want to hear secondhand stories of guess what he did for the first time today. It's like you want to be present because it only happens once. You got the first smile and the first laugh and she's Chris, never Chris let me forget it. Um, <laughs> it's it's mundane sometimes and it's hard work, but the little bits of magic happen when you don't expect it. So you, you've got to give it the time and the space. And and yeah, it's very hard to be present with uh, you know, for that amount of time, it's exhausting, but uh, just the rewards, it's amazing. You've pretty much answered my final question, guys, which is what is the most joyful part of parenting for you? For me, seeing Oscar grow into this amazing little person, like he's genuinely a fun, funny guy. Like, you know, he's he's. I've seen him, you know, show a level of care and compassion to people, which has genuinely impressed me. But yeah, he's just so funny and thoughtful. It's it's kind of amazing. We're like, wow, we did good. <laughs> it's nice. 
And it's not just us too. You know, we, we, it, the proud parents when we get feedback from other people, right, it's yeah. like, that kid's amazing. I was like, it's not just us because everyone, yeah. you know, loves their own kid. But um, yeah. yeah, it's from this little bump and an, and an idea and what started out as a, a thought, uh, yeah, it, it, it is miracle of life, I suppose, <laughs> for, for want of a better phrase. But yeah, he is amazing and just that it's, is always evolving and changing and yeah. we know that we've got the rest of our lives to to enjoy this beautiful little kid grow up and see what he does yeah survive and thrive is a podcast from panda perinatal anxiety and depression australia an accredited mental health service you'll find all the links and information you need in the episode notes wherever you're listening But just a reminder, if you are a new or expecting parent, you can call Panda's free national helpline from Monday to Saturday on 1300 726 306. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're in a life-threatening emergency, call 000. Panda recognises the individual and collective contributions of people with a lived or living experience of mental health issues, their families, loved ones and supporters. Every story informs how we care for people and their community. Survive and Thrive is produced by Deadset Studios for Panda, Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. Don't forget there are lots more episodes in your podcast feed, so hit follow in your favourite podcast app.